Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. had a good week. Again, it's great to see everybody this morning. It's been a good morning so far. You know, preaching is one of the funnest, being a pastor is one of the funnest jobs that you can have. And sometimes you just got to laugh about things. Uh, A lot of times folks leave me books that I need to read up here on the pulpit. Now this one was good. One's a, we've been on Wednesday night talking about where our Bibles came from and uh, how got into our English language and how it's been preserved over all these years from the Greek and the Hebrew. Very interesting and good to know. And one of these books is about the Greek language. It's, it's wonderful. The other one is how to teach the Bible. <laughs> I'm thinking I, that's a sign that I probably should read that and, and, and learn how to teach the Bible. <laughs> I know who did that too. I won't mention any name. That's, that's good. Sometimes you just got to laugh. I, I love it. Well, this morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. And as we've gone through the Bible over the course of the year, and in the past few weeks we've been in the New Testament, we've been in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John. This morning it's only right to go over to the Gospel of Luke. And we're very deep into Jesus' life, His ministry now. And if you remember, we uh, entered the New Testament looking at Jesus' baptism. We looked at part of the Sermon on the Mount. We uh, looked at um, that very interesting discussion in John chapter 3 that Jesus had with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now this morning we're going to look at some of Jesus' stories, some of His parables in Luke chapter 15. Jesus often taught using stories or parables, these uh, things that everyday people could relate to in order to relay what could be a very complicated matter or difficult truth. And Jesus was a master storyteller. He was a master with words. And in Luke chapter 15, we see Jesus, first of all, welcoming lost people, sinners and tax collectors, as Luke says. And He begins to to bring them in and teach them and even eat with them and fellowship with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees can't believe what they're seeing, that this rabbi is openly welcoming tax collectors and sinners. And so seeing that they're so offended by this, Jesus doesn't just call them out. He begins to tell some stories, and he shares three stories about lost things to make the point that God the Father loves lost things or loves lost people. That God our Father loves it when lost people are saved, when the lost are found. And a matter of fact, he goes so far to celebrate them being saved and being found. First thing, Jesus tells a story about lost sheep. And how it's right for the shepherd to leave the 99 to go after that one lost sheep. And then he tells a story about a lost coin and how um, it's fitting when this happens to clean the house and go through and just turn everything over until that lost coin is found. And then there's celebration over that lost coin being found. And then if the audience didn't relate to those two stories about the sheep and about the coin, Jesus then tells a story of a lost son. 
And surely every father in the audience that day was moved by this story. I remember when I became Easton's father, wherever, there he is over there. When I became Easton's father, it's, it's something that I'll never forget. Um, becoming a father to a son, especially. Now, I love Audrey, and, and she's a handful, and she's cute as she can be. But there's a special bond between fathers and sons. And uh, he and I have always been close. And I'll be honest with you, the older that he gets, I mean, he's, he even look, he's got the same haircut I do. Uh, but the older he gets, the more I see some of myself in him. And sometimes, you know, some days that's a good thing, and, and other times I'm not so sure that's a good thing. Because not only do I see my, my good traits, but sometimes I see some of my flaws as well, especially when he starts yelling at his little sister, Audrey! I thought, wow, that sounds just like Tyler Shields. But he's an awesome kid and he's an awesome son. And in the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15, it's often called the prodigal son. It's a story that we've all heard in Sunday school. Even people that didn't go to church know about the prodigal son. But the focus of the story, let me just begin it this way, it's not the son. The focus of this story is all about the father. So let's turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his field from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am, dying of hunger? I'll get up. Go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother's here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he, re he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, 
You're always with me. And everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this incredible story, this parable that you told so many years ago. Thank you for the truth that it contains not only about us, but about our Heavenly Father and His love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, the main story, the main character in this story is not just the two sons, not the prodigal son, or as we may say, the pharisaical son, but it's this patient and loving father. This incredible man, a father who begins this story allowing his one son to go astray. He knows, I think, what's going to happen. But he remains steadfast while he waits for that son to come back. And then this father just disregards all of that sin and welcomes this son back home with wide open arms. So let's talk about these things. The first thing, looking at it from the, the father's perspective, the first thing the father did was the father granted the son's request. What an insult to this father when the youngest son comes up and says, Hey, Dad, since it's taken you so long to die off, why don't you go ahead and give me what's coming to me? Let me have my inheritance. Give me your, your money that you're going to leave me when you finally die and, and I'm left with it. Most of us would be like, Listen carefully, Easton. Listen here, Junior. I'm going to write you out of this wheel right now is what I'm going to do. Lost your mind. But this father gives the youngest son, he goes ahead and gives him the third of the estate that's going to come to him. I say third because the oldest son always got the double portion, so he would have gotten two-thirds of the estate. The youngest son gets the other one-third. And so the son then goes really about as far in rebellion as he could go. I think that was his main goal here, was to turn away from his father's authority, to get physically away from his father's house, and really, whether he wanted to or not, get away from anything his father could do for him. Just be on his own. And in this process, the Bible says that he squanders this inheritance. And the CSB translates this as foolish living. And in the Greek, it's the only time this word's used in the Bible. It's a pretty interesting word that Jesus uses. The NIV translated as wild living. I think that's pretty fitting. And I don't normally go here, but I've got to share what the message translation says this morning. It actually does pretty good. It says that he goes to this distant country, and it says, There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. He just blows it. And what started out as this rebellious little trip for this young man ends up in this complete and total disaster with this young man in such a condition that he really wished somebody, if they just give me what the pigs are eating, I'd be, I'd be happy. But they won't even give me that. And so now he was alone. He was, I think, filthy. He was broke. He had nothing left. And, and, and here's what we're, we're seeing in this picture, okay? In the first part of this story, the picture that Jesus is painting pretty clearly is that this, this young man, he wasn't just making poor choices and he wasn't just away from his father. He was lost. We could say that he was absolutely lost. He was ashamed and he, was, he had gotten here by his own making. His little sin... His little rebellion had taken him farther than he wanted to go, kept him longer than he wanted to stay, and made him pay more than he ever wanted to pay. You know, that's what sin does, right? 
Billy Graham said, To you, sin may be a small thing, but to God it's a great and awful thing. He said, It's the second largest thing in the world. Only the love of God is greater. And see, the father in this story still loved this son, and he probably again knew, at least thought, if I give this kid all this stuff, this is probably what's going to happen. He's probably going to end up in a place like this, and probably bad things are going to happen to him. But he loved the son through it all, I think hoping that one day, as the Bible says, he would come to his senses. And that's what we see exactly happening. The second thing is this father waited for the son's repentance patiently. Lovingly, hopefully. We see the son's story very clearly. All the details that he went through, the choices that he made, the consequences of his sin. But we get a little glimpse into what's going on with this father. Again, he was there waiting. He was hopefully waiting that one day his son would come to, the, to his senses and he would repent. And that's exactly what happened to this son. Some scholars have taken that phrase that he came to his senses uh, as a Hebrew understanding of the beginning of Repentance. And we said last week that repentance involved three things. Do you remember what those were? Probably not, that's why I'm going to tell you again. Repentance involves three things. One, you have to change the way that you think about your sin. And then you have to change the way that you feel about your sin. Those two things happened to this young man. He began to think differently about his sinful decisions and the choices that he made. He began to have different emotions about his own choices and his sin. And then he came to his senses. And then he began to think, you know what? What could I say to Dad if I do go home? Playing this conversation over in his head. You ever do that? You ever mess up and think, you know what? Especially as kids, we used to do this a lot. We mess up, we do something, and we're like, man, i got to tell Mom about this. She's going to beat me with that too before like she threatened so many times. You began to have these conversations in your head. I think he began to play some of these conversations in his, in his mind. And then seeing where his sin had gotten on him and beginning to think differently about it, he acts upon it. He changes the way that he handles his sin. That's the third thing. And he gets up, and I love that verse. It says he got up and he went to his father. It's the perfect picture of a sinner coming home. Just as God the Father, remember we talked about this a little bit, just as God the Father begins to call us, begins to draw us to Himself, begins to convict us of our sin, this, this son begins to, I think, long for his father, not just his home, not just all the comforts that he once had, not just the food that his belly was lacking. I think he longed for his father. He says, if only I could just be a, a hired hand in my father's house. I don't even have to be his son anymore. Make me a slave in my dad's house. And he gets up and he makes his way back home. And he has this speech all planned out. And he begins to, to say everything he, he planned on saying just as he prepared it. But he don't even get the reception that he expects. Matter of fact, the father, uh, I think, was uh, waiting. But he wasn't waiting there. Now, I'll be honest with you. I might be waiting there to tell my son just what a knucklehead he'd been, Right? But this father is waiting not to rebuke his son or to tell him how bad he'd messed up. He hadn't written him off as a loss. To the contrary, when this son begins making his way back home, notice what the father had been doing. I think he'd been working just like nothing had happened. He continued to prepare, uh, uh, to provide for his family. He, I think, 
continue to make a means for this son should he make his way back home. And then when he finally comes home, the father gets a glimpse. Now I kind of, when I read this, and it says that he saw the son from afar off, I kind of picture that maybe every day this father gets up and he goes about his routine, and maybe every now and then he just kind of looks out over the horizon just to see, you know, wonder if, wonder if my boy's coming home today. And at this particular moment, he looks out and he, he actually sees his son off in the distance. And notice the father, he already had a, a fattened calf, the Bible says. Now we read through that and we think, well, that, he, you know, he's a rich man, whatever, he's, he's got a fat calf. But commentators note that this wasn't normal for a Jewish family to have a fattened calf just hanging around, waiting to be slaughtered. So I think maybe, maybe this father had so much faith, had so much hope that one day his son was going to come back that he kept a fattened calf on hand for that moment when the prodigal son walked back through the door. When he saw his son coming, he breaks all cultural norms and traditions. The father runs to the son. You've probably heard a lot of sermons about the father running to the son to greet him. He grabbed him and he, he kissed him. He takes and he, and he won't even let the boy finish his speech. He begins to say all these things that he rolled over in his mind so many times and the dad won't even let him speak. He don't even say anything to him. He just says, hey, hey, get that fattened calf and let's get it ready because we got to celebrate my boy's home. Puts the best robe, the ring, the sandals on his feet. And regardless of what this young man had done, and we, I think we don't even get the slightest details of what he'd been up to. Regardless of what he'd done, he wouldn't be a slave. He wouldn't be a servant in his father's house. He was still a son. He was a child of the father, and he would be treated like royalty because he was the father's Son, you know, when you come to your senses, as this, this story says, Jesus says in this story, when you repent of your sins and the way that you've been going and, and you turn away from all that and you begin to make your way to God the Father or make your way back to God the Father, our Heavenly Father, I think, uh, in a sense, runs to us just like this Father in this story. And I think right now, just like the Father in this story, I think God the Father is very patiently graciously waiting for somebody to come back home. That He's not there waiting to judge you or to condemn you or, or smite you. I think He's waiting, like the Father in His story, filled with compassion to welcome you home. God the Father wants His lost sons and daughters back. So much that He gave His Son his only son, as we talked about last week, so that that could be possible. And when you come to him, here's what's interesting about, about us. When we go back to our father, because we are the prodigals, when we go back to God the Father, or we go to God the Father for the very first time through faith in Christ, here's what happens. He takes all of your sin, all the stuff that you've done, all the things that you've squandered, and you know what the Bible says? It says he casts all of that as far as the east is from the west. And it's just like it's never happened. He's not worried about what you've done. He, he's more concerned about uh, just having a relationship with you. 
welcoming you home. He don't care how far you've gone or what, what you've done or what you've messed up or how many people you've hurt along the way. And you just, when you come back to him, it's, it's a perfect picture of what God does for us in this story. When the father puts all this stuff on this son, the robe and the sandals and the ring, God the father, when you get saved, when you come to, to him, what does he do? He cleans off your mess where you've been wallering with the pigs. It's a theological term, by the way, wallering. You've been wallowing with the world and with the pigs, and he dresses you up in what? The righteousness of Christ. And he sees you just as if nothing ever happened. But notice this final thing there's joy in heaven because of your salvation. I think we forget what a big deal it is for somebody to get saved. But the last thing is the Father celebrated the Son's return. It's one of the main points in these three parables that Jesus is sharing here is that the Father, God the Father, celebrates over lost people being found. That's what what He's talking about here. God loves it when people get saved. And listen, man, we should be pretty excited when people get saved too. I try to be a good father. Don't I, Easton? Yeah. And I I try to give my son and my daughter... Uh, everything that they need. I end up giving him a lot of things that he just wants, whether he needs it or not, whether it's good for him or not. I try to teach him how to be a a good young man and hopefully grow him into a good godly man. I try to teach him how to act and what you should say and and not say, the things you should do and not do. I think we we hit a father-son pinnacle pretty early in our relationship, though, that will never be overcome. And as a father, one of the greatest privileges that you can ever have and really the greatest thing that you can ever do for your children is to lead them to the Lord. A few years ago, I got the divine opportunity to lead my son to the Lord and then even baptize him in the river. And I think, you know, if if y'all put me on TV and I make a lot of money and all that stuff, I'm just kidding. But if I was super incredibly successful in this world and I gave my son an inheritance, you know, where he'd never have to lift a finger another day in his life, that's great, but that would pale in comparison to leading your children in a relationship with Christ. Nothing compares. And the father in this story, he pulls out all the stops when the son comes home. And he had, you know, let's be honest, he had every right to condemn this young man. Really every right to reject him and just send him on his way. Every right to um, just write him off as a loss. But instead of that, he calls for this fattened calf. There's music, there's dancing, there's celebration. And even when the other son, this pharisaical son comes, he's like, Dad... He's trying to remind him about all of his brother's failures. He's like, don't you remember what this guy done? He, he took a third of your stuff. He went and blew it, squandered it. And instead, this father turns to his brother. He says, listen, son. And notice the language. This brother don't even want to call him his brother. He says, your son's done all this. <laughs> and the dad says, listen, your brother was dead son he's alive he was lost but now he's found he said we had to celebrate 
and rejoice because he's home. The point is that Jesus is teaching that God the Father rejoices and celebrates over sinners repenting. In these two parables, Jesus says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. He says, I tell you in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Listen to me very closely. When you get saved, all of heaven rejoices over your salvation. Do you realize how big a deal that is? That the angels and God and and all of His glory are happy that you got saved. So I guess my question for you this morning is what's stopping you from coming home? What's standing in your way? There's no condemnation waiting for you. There's no judgment. There's no shame. There's no ridicule. There's just this Father filled with compassion waiting for you with arms wide open to wrap His loving arms around you and welcome you home and throw the biggest party you've ever seen because of you getting saved. If you're afraid of what other people may think about you or say about you, I can assure you one thing about this church. This church will celebrate over someone getting saved, won't we, church? Amen. Let's stand together as we pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we Lord, we just thank you for for how you are. God, that you are a Father with love that we can't even begin to comprehend. Lord, even the good ones of us have to admit that we were the prodigal. We were the ones that were broken, defeated, ruined by our sin and our sinful choices. But there you were. Waiting for us to come home. Not to disown us, not to write us off, not to remind us every day of all these bad decisions we've made, but just to welcome us because we're your children. God, we thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for sending Jesus to, to die for those sins that we have committed those choices that we've made so that we could have a relationship with our Father. God, maybe there's someone here this morning that's they've never been saved. God, I pray today that they would make that choice. God, maybe there's someone here that there's another way to look at this story. Maybe there's someone here that once was close to you, was close to the Father, and for whatever reason they've drifted away, they've ran off, they've tried to do things on their own. Lord, today maybe they need to come back home and make a fresh commitment, have a new start with you. God, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we sing a song of invitation. This altar is open. If you need to come and pray, if you need to be saved, why don't you come this morning? Come home. Don't let anything stand in your way. If you've been far from the Lord or you've wandered from Him, you've ran from Him, why don't you come back this morning as we sing. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. 
please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.